0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. We have another great slate of NWSL games for you this week. I am joined by my friend and colleague, John Halloran. How's it going, John?
0: I'm good. How are you doing?
1: Not too bad. I, I, to, to Even before we jump into some of these results, I want to just ask you right off the bat. I kind of know the answer, but I'm going to ask you here on on the mic. Um, how has it been experiencing this Challenge Cup with all of these kind of weeknight games, lots of late nights, not a lot of weekend games? What has been your viewing experience of this Challenge Cup thus far?
0: Uh, I've been surprised that I think it's actually been slightly more difficult. I think I was anticipating the weeknight games being a little bit easier for me, uh, to fit into, into my schedule. But I think between the, the West coast kickoffs, which are late, uh, at least for me, uh, that's been a little challenging. And I think I've just forgotten sometimes, you know, I, I've been trying for, for my own mental health to stay off social media a little bit more. And, Sometimes I'll, I'll check out in the afternoon and just be off and then I'll just forget that there's a game. And I think that's a little indicative of it not kind of being that focal point of the weekend where it would be in in a normal, in a normal situation, which is interesting because last year with the challenge cup, I literally watched every minute of every game. Right. Um, so I don't know exactly why this was, this was different in that regard, but yeah, I definitely did not catch as much of it as I, as I had anticipated.
1: Yeah. I think I feel similarly. I think um, it, this is not, not, you know, a a dig on the scheduling. I just, I do think that it's interesting kind of how it's manifested itself and that there were some kind of early games, you know, maybe five, five PM central where we are or 6 PM Eastern and then some quite late games, Uh, that happened on the West coast. And I think I knew maybe a little bit that it would be hard to catch everything live, but I was, I think the thing that surprised me the most was not actually um, the feeling of watching the games on the weeknights. It was missing the games on the weekends. I think if I had one thing that affected me more rather than there being so many weeknight games, I think it was the fact that we, you went multiple weekend blocks with nothing um, and I think it was maybe last week where there was a game on Wednesday and then there wasn't a game until the following Monday. And I think that those gaps were felt. And so I think if I was to, there are a couple, probably suggestions a person could make about what to do with the challenge cup next year, but I've been a little bit surprised how much I've missed watching the games on the weekend.
0: I would agree too. Cause I, I sat down last night to watch the NC Orlando game and it just felt weird and I didn't know why it was feeling weird. And I think it was because it was a Saturday night and I was sitting down and just enjoying the game.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shifts because we did have the regular season drop uh, this past week. And it's a little bit more, you know, for lack of a better term, normalized. You have mostly weekend games, some weeknight games. So we are switching to something very different. to so mostly games played on the weekend. Yeah, um, But we do have some results here. And and I think what we're going to spend today doing is is talking about some of these teams who have wrapped up this challenge cup, because there are quite a few teams that did not make the final, but they have finished their group slate um, of, of games. And it's worth talking about what some of the expectations were, how they did that sort of thing in a more holistic way, but to be to, because to be quite honest, a number of these games were on their own, still pretty inconclusive um, to speak generally before we get into some of the more specific results. In the arc of this Challenge Cup, I'm not sure we have necessarily seen some of the specific stat lines improve for teams. I'm thinking like pass accuracy or shots on goal versus shots or shots on goal versus goals, where there, it still feels like there's a lot of room to be worked with for some of these teams in tightening up what some players are doing. And that played out in a couple of scoreless draws. There were a couple high goal games where the defense made some mistakes. Um, What do you think, John, were you expecting this to be a little bit tighter by the end of this, this tournament?
0: Probably, but you know, to, to your point, it's probably also a bit unfair because we know that these teams were fairly restricted in the preseason opportunities that they had um, in terms of who they could schedule because of different COVID restrictions, who was available to even play. So I don't think it's necessarily shocking that we are seeing basically a preseason play out in real time.
1: Right. Um, So I think the focus today is going to be a little bit less on what happened in each game in sort of some of these through lines for these teams that have now wrapped up the Challenge Cup play. Um, A team to start with that it makes a lot of sense to start with is Gotham. Gotham qualified. We're we're recording this right before slash during the final game of the weekend. We are not going to get a chance to take a look at Portland versus Houston until after it's played, but we did see Gotham draw Louisville this afternoon, and they did also draw Washington this past Tuesday. So Gotham has gotten enough results here to qualify for the Eastern division championship for qualifying for that challenge cup final. Uh, They will not be hosting, though, because Portland is the team, even before the game was played tonight, Sunday evening, they did clinch the highest overall seed, which theoretically is someplace that the league would like to play. We'll see exactly what that means for COVID restrictions. So, Gotham. Gotham, to me, is is really interesting because you can see all the good pieces, Mm -hmm. lots of really good pieces, and you can also see these moments in these games where – the idea the philosophy what they are trying to do works it's not consistent yet and it still feels maybe like they are still searching for their best 11 even going into this final game does gotham to you john feel a little bit like maybe chicago in last year's challenge cup considering that they have qualified for this on two draws or do you think they're moving a little bit stronger they're progressing a little bit more than that
0: yeah, I would, I, I would lean to the second part, and then I would say that they're progressing a little bit stronger. I think it was funny, I, uh, I re-listened to our preview pod this yeah. afternoon just because I wanted to see what we got right, what we got wrong, uh, and we had, uh, or at least I had, uh, I don't necessarily mean to anchor you to, to the picks, but, uh, <laughs> you know, had had them third, but had also spoken really highly of their front line, their interchanges, we... We both had mentioned how, in last year's fall series, they had particularly impressed, and that you could really start to see some things develop on their part, and they have strength through all three lines they've got some nice players in the back, they've got nice players in the midfield. I love their front line mm-hmm. um, and I think that they did what really what was possible it may be a little faster than than at least we had had predicted um it's but it's a nice and it's a great feel-good story and a lot of us saw that the new yorker had written that piece this mm-hmm. week yeah which of course started out with equalizers reporting from a couple of years ago when things were kind of uh in a different situation right but it's again it's really a testament to what uh to what that organization has been able to do over the past couple of years not only with their success on the field, but just making it a destination that people want to play for, because it's not easy in this league where every person in the league knows exactly the reputation of every club to bring people into a club uh, that at that time, at least did not have a very good reputation. And they've been able to bring in talent, to keep talent, to develop talent. And that's really just, um, I think we have to extend some kudos to that organization and the people involved in all of that.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, um, ultimately though, when you look at the the larger picture here, it was the win over North Carolina. That was the statement win of this group. And it is ultimately what carried them to the final because what they did this week was two scoreless draws. Um, with Gotham I think very highly again of their attack I think it's very good I actually think when everybody is healthy they have a really strong starting 11 um I wonder a little bit if the success of making it to the final doesn't overshadow some of the individual performances and results of the team um but it's not at this point, it's not worth saying really like to, to be worried about maybe what happened happens to Gotham against Portland or what this means for the regular season. The thing you say right now is, Oh my gosh, they have, first of all, earned this. They have done mm-hmm. something that the other teams in the East could not do. Um, the moments where they put things together are, are scintillating and are really good, well-played football and not unlike maybe Houston last year. Yes. They are setting the tone for the future of this club. And I think that you can't, you don't want to discount that because this is going to have a ripple effect for years to come. The fact that in 2021, they came together, they worked through what they worked through and they made it to that challenge cup final. That makes a difference for a club that is trying to be on the up. And I think that what they have accomplished is huge.
0: And I do think they have maybe a little bit more depth than, than people would perceive. I think now on their front line, there's probably five players competing for three positions.
1: <laughs> you know me, I'm like, can we get Ifioma Anumai <laughs> on the field, please? <laughs>
0: right. I think in the back, they have five or six players for those six. And then obviously this week they brought Allie Long in to help with the midfield, which, which should definitely help because she's a player who at her best has been among the best in the NWSL. Um, you know, in some of her better seasons.
1: Agreed. And I think that the Allie Long, yes, I should have, I should have mentioned this, the, the, the acquisition of Allie Long I do think is going to be very helpful for Gotham because they need, if McCall's or is dealing with some lingering things, whether it is an injury from the past or just the fact that maybe she's getting a little bit older, they need a different more kind of physical ball winner in that midfield. And Ali Long is a great person to do that for them. So I think that that was a good move. I agree with that. And yeah, I think at this point, you just kind of celebrate where they've come. Yep. We'll see how the final goes. At this point, it's a win. No m- I'm sure they want more, but for us, it's a win no matter what. Very nice work from Gotham. Um, let's talk about some other teams whose Challenge Cup is over, but didn't quite reach that height. I think maybe the best place to pivot at this moment is to North Carolina because they did have an opportunity to kind of snatch that snatch that place from Gotham this week, and they weren't exactly quite able to do it. Um, they did beat Louisville way back last Monday, three to two. They got in another shootout. They did win that one. Um, they won on an own goal. Uh, it was it was something where the the uh, outcome was not was not imminent. So I think that North Carolina still has a lot to look at. In terms of their core and then they had the opportunity to sort of force the issue on saturday night when they played the orlando pride and that was another nil nil draw um what do you think john because you were pretty high on north carolina going into this and i think a lot of the things you said were right but in a short form tournament format they didn't always get the results that they needed and that has ended up making them just kind of part of the pack?
0: I think they're exactly what we thought they were going to be. Right. You know, we talked about that, about how every game could be a shootout and they could win five, four It's shocking, to be honest with you, that yesterday's game ended in a zero zero draw because you would have thought between North Carolina's poor defensive play and, and Orlando sometime having some gaps in the back as well with the offensive talents that both teams had, you would have thought three, three would have been a more predictable scoreline than, right. than nil, nil. So the fact that that's how they, they kind of went out is is a little bit shocking. I do think they're going to be a little bit different when they get Ersig back. I think, you know, it's one thing to lose Doll Kemper, but to lose Dahlkemper Kemper and Ersig is, is, is a gigantic hole for any team to fill. We know that Riley has teased at least twice this imminent signing, which Mm -hmm. he seems to think is going to be a game changer for them. I I suppose we'll see. The interesting thing for me is that in watching yesterday's game with as much talent as they had on the field and as many chances as they create, I don't think the chances they're creating this year are of the same quality as they've been in the past, Mm -hmm. because I think this year, what you're seeing is a lot of get the ball out wide play in a hopeful cross. And when you have players like Lynn Williams and Jess McDonald, who are both very good in the air, you can see them finishing a fair, a fair number of those over the course of a season. But when you had Sam Mewis who could break two lines with one pass on the carpet or crystal Dunn who could turn literally any defender in the league and take it in on the dribble. That's the part that's missing. Whereas, you're still going to create a ton of chances because of your fitness, your pressing, your speed, but those chances aren't as high percentage as they were, which is probably going to result in a lower finishing rate, which is always kind of what North Carolina struggled with anyway. And, you know, if you take that down another notch, that's And then on top of that, you're going to give up maybe a goal or two each game. That's obviously going to completely change the dynamic of them being the most dominant team in the league to probably finishing three, four, five,
1: right? And I think that this was something that was said to me by someone I was I was chatting with during that game, um, which I think is true. Is that even outside of the results, if the thing that you're left with of of the 2018 2019 North Carolina is the pressing ability and the mental focus and the ability to overload the box, overload that offense. What you're going to get is a team that wins enough games. They're going to be fine to be in the top part of that table, but it's not going to be as fun to watch. It's not going to be as interesting to watch. It's going to feel a little bit more like a physical overload team. And what North Carolina was able to do up until this point was have that be a major element, but not be the whole element of the way that they broke teams down. And so I am interested to see how other teams rise to the challenge of combating that, because I do think that the window is open for that.
0: It kind of feels like 2017 when they were very, very good, but not as dominant as, as they were in maybe 2018 or 2019.
1: Right. And, you know, we're having this conversation, but also, you know, North Carolina did as well as anybody to be in the conversation for this final up until their final match day. So I think that this is maybe an indicator that we're going to be talking a lot about the ways that North Carolina is different, but they're going to be in this mix probably regardless. Yeah. So one more team I want to talk about um, in this first A block here is uh, Washington, actually. They are the team that uh, went into the scoreless draw with Gotham this week. Their final game was on Tuesday. They had had a a scoreless draw with, no, the scoreless draw with Gotham. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. They're right. They they lost the pride last week, one to nothing. So Washington is another team that hasn't scored in two games. Um, So like Gotham hasn't scored in two games. Washington hasn't scored in two games. We've talked about some of the scoring issues with Chicago, some of the scoring issues with, you know, Kansas City, Orlando, I think one of the overarching narratives of this Challenge Cup is similar kind of to the Challenge Cup last year, which is that the attack isn't quite clicking for a lot of these teams that we know have a lot of talent. Um, And Washington is maybe a good example of that. So for you, John, Washington consistently feels like maybe the team of the future. (laughs) did you see anything from them during this period that makes you think that the future is this year?
0: I would say no. Um, Literally the one word I wrote down for Washington here was yikes. Um, (laughs) But, but let me qualify that in a couple of different ways. The first thing is that I said during the the preview um, that they were creating chaos with the roster changes that they brought in that Burke had spent a year and a half bringing in this system religiously, dedicating that team to possession. And then because of of the players that he brought in tinkering with a three back, changing the lineup and how that was going to create some problems, particularly early until he gets everybody integrated into his system and and gets things set up the way that he wants to, but that's going to be a challenge this year because of the international, the big international break, which is right. going to come. And um, the other thing that I think is really funny about looking back at what we were saying a, a few weeks ago was that you had mentioned back then about their inability to score. And you had talk, talked about the, the pressure on players like Hatch and Sanchez. And then I think probably universally, if you were to ask people what impression they had of Washington coming out of this this Challenge Cup in terms of who their attacking person is. I think almost everybody would say Trinity Rodman, right? Who is the you know the teenage rookie um, who, who I don't think anybody coming into this would have thought, hey, yeah, she's going to jump right into the league and make an impact.
1: Right. No, I do think that it's very interesting because I think that we should have measured expectation for Washington. And I think that that's a dichotomy of the coach a little bit because there are some things I believe that Richie Burke is doing that are really working and some things that he is doing that are only kind of working or maybe are not working fast enough. And so when you talk about things that need more time, they never really had the midfield that they wanted. Um, I think Dorian Bailey is a very good player, but I'm not sure she's the right person to unlock that midfield. Um the defense never got a consistent run of play with the players that they brought in the offense. Uh, it's its a struggle and, and you watch those games and you think, Oh gosh, like Washington is dealing with some very bad luck. But the thing that I always go back to is just, there are people on these teams. And when you see a consistent run, when you really struggle, sometimes it has to do with where the pieces are fitting together. However, One thing that Richie Burke got dead on 100% exactly right is that Trinity Robin was ready for this level. And he was confident in that in a way that I'm not sure anybody else really stuck, like stuck a claim to, but she's, she's the MVP of the tournament for me, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, it's great. And and I don't want to jump ahead because, um, you know, I know we're going to talk about Orlando later, but I, I I have such a, familiar such a similar feeling when i think back to how mark skinner reacted when he drafted taylor Korniak. right and was just so happy about it like beaming about it and everybody's kind of like you know how can you be that confident about this player that nobody's really sure of but you're absolutely right that uh, that rodman has had that effect um for washington
1: yep all right. Very good. So actually, you know what, before we move on to segment two, I'm going to, I'm going to throw an audible here. I'm going to add one more team in just because I think it's worth putting into this segment. Um, I do want to talk about Louisville because we, it it's hard to say exactly if, if Louisville over overcame our expectations, um, they did not win a game, but they had a couple that they didn't lose. And I think that that, you know, that's something to build off of. That's something to build off of. And it's funny because you have teams sometimes where you can grab onto the narratives of some of the other teams, but Louisville was a player in a lot of these games where they came in, they worked hard, they held their lines. They did their very best. Like it wasn't quite enough to hold off North Carolina, but they did obviously hold Gotham to a nil, nil draw today. Um, They swapped goals. They did swap goals with North Carolina. They swapped goals with Orlando. They came to compete and, I don't think you want to overestimate their quality because I think that's still very much to be determined, but it does seem like their minds are in the right place. And that's a great place to start
0: a hundred percent. And I think they're kind of riding that early excitement momentum at this yeah. point, the, both from the players and the fan base. And we talked about this in the preview too, that it seems like the organization is, is doing a really good job supporting the players, but to go back to your first point, I literally wrote in my notes uh, as I was preparing today, maybe a tad bit better than what we expected, but what we expected. <laughs> yeah, And th- that's exactly what you were saying. Right. They're in these games, there's excitement, they're battling, it's fun. Over the course of 24 games, where that's going to leave you is probably not in a great spot. And that momentum, that excitement momentum does fade or will fade. Um, so I do think that obviously, you know, they're still missing a couple of pieces that they need to to consistently compete in this league.
1: So I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you the question that maybe everybody's thinking, but I'm going to ask it of of you, John. Um, so you look at what Louisville has put together here, if they had done their initial offseason a little bit differently, this could be a really competitive team, right?
0: I think so. I think that even even if they had made some different choices though in the expansion draft, you're still you're still trying to like put together a Frankenstein team in in 2 months or whatever it was, right. a 10 week preseason and then over the course of a challenge cup that maybe gives you 13 to 14 weeks to simulate what other teams have had two or three or four seasons, you know, if you look at what North North Carolina's attack has had three or four seasons to get to to where they are. Gotham's attack is is now in season two of where they're at. Chicago, uh, at least their midfield and back line, has had five or six years to get right. to this point. So it, it's still, even if they had done uh, I don't know if I want to say better, but if they had done if they had made different choices.
1: Made some different choices.
0: Yes. I still think it would be tough um to be truly competitive in year 1.
1: Yeah, I agree. I will say that we'll we'll talk Orlando as well in in the next segment, but I've really enjoyed the east. I've enjoyed this division a lot. I think that there's been some pretty competitive games. I think that you talk about strengths and weaknesses being compatible with one another. I think that the strengths and weaknesses of these teams have worked really well together and in the way that this is a weirder start to a regular season. I kind of love that all of these teams have gotten some games against each other before we go into what happens next. So that's much of the East. We will get into how we feel about Chicago, Portland, Orlando, and a tiny bit about the rain, Kansas city and Houston coming up next. Uh, We're going to take a bit of a break. This has been the equalizer podcast. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know, since you're a real person doing real stuff. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I am joined this week by John Halloran real quick. Before we jump back into some NWSL stuff, we have some things, you know, a little bit of housekeeping to to attend to first things first, please rate and review this podcast. Go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite streaming service. Give us a nice review. We love to read nice things about ourselves. It helps people find us. It's very, very helpful. So give us a five-star review on your streaming service. Uh, thing number two, before we, again, before we get back into NWSL, I do want to go over some other results that happened in the world of women's soccer today. um, and this week, the first thing I do want to touch on is that we have hit a couple of rounds of the NCAA women's soccer tournament, um, that has been playing throughout the week on ESPN properties and sometimes on just some NCAA, uh, website streams, Not too many upsets here. We did have some big ones. Um, Ole Miss did take uh, USC down. It was ultimately a 2-2 draw that Ole Miss uh, went forward on on penalties. Uh, We also had Penn State out of the Big Ten take down, seeded 16th Vanderbilt, which that was a bit of an upset, but also if you've been following that team Penn State is very, very solid and by far probably the best team of the Big Ten. Uh, and their upcoming game on May 5th against Florida State will be some must-see TV. UCLA was taken to the brink by Iowa. They did win that game in overtime. They will be playing Clemson. Santa Clara took down Ohio State 4-1. to You saw future Chicago Red Star Kelsey Turnbo have a very good performance in that game. Uh, so to watch uh, the upcoming games here, we do have Florida State versus Penn State. Duke versus Ole Miss, Santa Clara versus Arkansas, and UCLA versus Clemson. And on the other side of the bracket, we have Rice in an upset over West Virginia. They will be playing the University of Virginia. Uh, We have Texas A&M playing Oklahoma State. We have the University of Washington advancing over St. Louis. Uh, They will be playing North Carolina. And we have Georgetown taking on fourth seed TCU to decide the College Cup which will be played on may 9th also in europe this weekend we saw the semifinals of the uefa women's champions league be decided uh chelsea did advance over bayern munich on an aggregate of five to three beating them at home four to one today and then barcelona advanced past paris saint germain three to two after beating them two to one today Uh, that final will be played on Sunday, May 16th at 2 PM central, which is where I am. So 3 PM Eastern, and you can look forward to that. That'll be part of a very big weekend because that is when the NWSL and also the WNBA will be kicking off. So very big women's sports weekend in a couple of weeks. So (laughs) hit a lot of news there, but we are turning back to the NWSL to kind of wrap some of the stuff up from this week. We're talking at this point, Orlando the Orlando Pride, because they're the last team in the East, and uh, they're fun to talk about. I have been intrigued, and I have enjoyed watching Orlando play through this tournament. Um, I think that they've done some things well. I think we've seen some of the issues of the past come forward. Uh, but first things first, John, um, I do want to talk a little bit because you brought her up when we were chatting between between uh, between segments, and also because I think that she is – like the new player to talk about Taylor Korniak for yeah. the pride. She's been a real asset for them.
0: She has, she had that really great goal early on. And then last night, I, I could not figure for the life of me what they were doing when they were lining up that free kick, because mm-hmm. you've got Marta. And even if she's not going to shoot, why would you not put Corniak in, in, in the mixer? And, right. you know and loft it up and let her
1: player. right let her yeah. go
0: get it so i'm watching them set this up and i'm thinking what in god's name are they doing and then she thunders that free kick and i don't know how casey murphy kept that out of the net but yeah um because it did look like she got a little bit of a hand to it and and pushed it up into the into the crossbar but yeah cornea can play
1: yeah
0: and uh and she can play at this level. And so kudos to, to her and, and to Skinner for making that pick. And, uh, you know, apologies for any judgment I may have made two years ago about uh, whether or not that, that pick was going to be as good as as he seemed to think it was. And it's obviously still early, but I think that, that uh, she certainly does not look like she's going to be a bust.
1: Right. No, I think for me, it definitely just depends on where you play her. I think that She's not a connecting midfielder and that's fine. She has a lot of other attributes that are very helpful to your soccer team. So um, I don't think you want her as your 10 uh, where, you know, she has played in, in some of these matches kind of behind the forward line. I don't know if that's the best place for her. I think you use her as the asset that she is. She can, she's got a hell of a foot on her. She's very tall. She can be your target nine if you need her. She can be cutting through the lines as part of the front line. Um, And and there were moments in this game that I thought were interesting because it's kind of like you said how we had maybe anticipated this being a high-scoring game. yeah. But the thing that maybe even in the context of that was still surprising were some high-quality chances from the Pride. They had one shot from Alex Morgan that was well uh, deflected by Carson Pickett. Um, they had a couple really good looks on goal and it was interesting to watch this game play out because it was scoreless and, and ended that way, but it felt like the pride were as likely to break that deadlock as the courage were.
0: And, and LaRue got in twice and both times decided not to take a shot with her left foot and, and to try to cut it back or do something else with it. So yeah, it could have even been, um, you know, they, they could have won that game.
1: Yeah. And I think, You know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be patronizing of this team because they are not an expansion squad. They are not new, but they are starting from a place from 2019. That was pretty low and you want to acknowledge the ways that they have improved and you can talk about results. They got a one win out of this, which is more than some teams were able to do. And they also, when you talk about performances it feels like the team is moving with a clarity of purpose that they didn't necessarily have in 2019. And they got a very brief glimpse of it in 2020. I think some of the same concerns are still there, but they have to feel pretty good about this challenge cup, right?
0: I think so. They got two shutouts with a defense that I don't think anybody would have predicted would have gotten two shutouts out of four games. And they also shut out arguably the most prolific offense in the challenge cup. Um, so I think that that's impressive in and of itself. I think they've still got some gaps in midfield, which are going to be tough over the course of a season. I think that they are going to be particularly hard hit when we hit the international breaks, just because they're going to lose, you know, their top players. And, and they don't, I don't think have the squad depth that they necessarily need. So I'm not sure where they're going to finish over the course of 24 games, but I think, I think if you're Orlando, or a fan of Orlando, you're taking any positive signs you can. And I think they got a, a number of them in, in these four games.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. So switching over to the West, um, eh, let's go ahead and start with the top, I guess. Uh, Portland have you know, they clinched the West as of the recording last week, um, as of the recording this week, they will likely be hosting that event they're probably the favorites of the challenge, the challenge cup final for you, John, just cause we haven't had you on in the second. What do you think of what Portland's been able to do? And do you think that the gap between them and everybody else will become smaller over the regular season? Or do you think it sticks?
0: I think it sticks. I think I, I, I know we're talking about Portland here, but you, in comparing them to the league, we talked about, Washington has some things they have to figure out. We can celebrate Gotham, but over the course of 24 games, that's going to be harder to sustain. And we saw gaps with North Carolina, Chicago. Um, So I do think that Portland is going to be able to, to sustain that gap. And the thing that is really important, what they showed in those first two games is that they can get it done without their national teamers. And so when we hit, the Olympics, and when they lose those players, the group that's still going to be there is good enough to get it done.
1: I agree. I will posit just this, and this is not for now or even not for later, but maybe for later later, which is that the issue that Portland had in 2019 was not the beginning of the season or the middle of the season. It was integrating players back in at the end of the season. And so it'll be interesting to see how those different stages go because they got tripped up by what was considered to be kind of the cavalry coming back in 2019. Now I would say probably that they would say that they have a better collective group now than they did then, but we'll just kind of have to see how it goes. Um, But I agree. I think that Portland is a, is a very scary opponent for Gotham and for anybody I I'll say it right now. They're my projected challenge cup champions. And and I think that that should continue into the regular season. Um, they didn't, they, they're playing right now. <laughs> we didn't see them this week, but I expect that to continue. Um, and even if Houston pulls off a shocker, I don't know if they, they take too much going into that one. Cause that's just kind of a freebie game. Okay. So other teams in the West, oh, let's do this right now. Let's talk about Houston actually. So. Again, just acknowledging that this does not include the match that is being played right now between Portland and Houston. I do want to talk about the game they played against Kansas City, though, because they did win three to one with two goals from Christine Mewis and one from Rachel Daly, which if there was any sort of a we're back moment, it's probably that. And it maybe indicates again that Houston is perhaps exactly what we thought they might be, which is a very good team with their starters and more of a middle team without them.
0: A hundred percent. I do think that they got, you know, they, they drew Chicago off the get go with missing those players. And I do think that that showed that they've, they have some fight in them, but you're absolutely right. You know, Mewis, Mewis and Daly are going to what, what that team is going to live or die by. And if they're playing well, Houston's going to have a really good season. And if they stay healthy and when they're there, Houston's going to be very good. And when they're not there, I think things get much more challenging for the dash.
1: I agree with that. I think that um, the one thing about their team that changed in 2020, that I do think is still true in 2021 is that their defense changed radically, yeah. particularly their center backs. And so I think, a good thing good news for Houston is that if the basis of their work throughout the entire season is the consistency of that center back pairing that's a great place to start we've seen that with Chicago we will get to Chicago but we've seen that with Chicago that if you can have a defense that you can trust mm-hmm. game in game out you have you buy yourself a little bit of room to work some of the other things out um so I guess my question is this, and it is hard off of one game, but ugh, whatever, we're doing a podcast. John, Houston's ceiling with that first 11, do you think they can compete with Portland?
0: Compete, of course. I don't think that's that's even a question. Right. Um, do, again, though, does does anybody really have enough right. to beat Portland without Portland beating themselves? Right. I don't know. It's yeah. just there's just such a massive gap in talent that, you know, you referenced Portland's 2019 Portland's collapse at the end of 2019 was a bit of, of self-induced wounds that we know that there were some issues going on in that squad. And we know that Parsons was unhappy with some players. So if Portland doesn't hurt themselves, I think they are virtually unbeatable and yeah, regardless of, of how good Houston could be.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think when we're talking about Portland this year, we're talking about the statistical likelihood of a team being able to be mentally engaged for 24 games, which is impossible, right? So they're going to lose some games, but the ones that matter, I think that it's going to be really, really tough to beat that team, especially as we know at home. I just think that they're going to be even tougher to beat at home. I think 2021 is going to come roaring back a little bit in terms of fan engagement. I think there's going to be a lot of energy there and that only benefits the Portland Thorns. Okay. So honestly, kudos to us. We've made it this long before talking Chicago, but now we're going to. So talking Chicago, Chicago lost to OL rain three to two this week in a very different game structurally and statistically than the game that they had been playing. But, you know, Chicago, two draws, two losses in this one. No wins. How are you feeling, John?
0: Uh, I I don't think you can classify Chicago's Challenge Cup as anything other than disappointing. I think that it, it's more or less what we expected on the offensive end, which we knew that they were going to struggle to score, that that was the theme of, 2020 but with all of the talent they have in the midfield and in the back and with again this is relative because obviously they lost players when 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 we had the international break but relative to the other teams in the league they lost less that group should have been able to grind out some results with that talent and the fact is is that they didn't and they needed to do better against Houston and Portland with the advantage that they had In those games. And uh, that's if You know, I know that people would never say this out loud, but if I was Rory Dames, I would be a little bit scared right now of where my season is going to go over 24 games. If that group can't pull some results out because that Chicago's core has been in place since 2015. And that is a group of experienced players. Most of them have some level of international experience. They should have been able to do better in those games. This is not a group that needed to come together or that needs eight games to find each other. Anything you hear in that regard uh, is just kind of covering up or trying to paper over um, some real issues with, with their attack right now. And uh, to be honest with you, it goes beyond that because they should have been able to win some of these games, one nothing. And the fact that they were given up multiple goals is, is a problem.
1: Right. Um, yes. So John and I are the most equipped to probably speak critically about this team because we've been watching them so closely, um, over the last couple of years, but I have to agree. I I think that, um, you can look at a lot of their statistical averages in a number of ways. Like you look at a team where over four games they give up six shots on goal but five of them the other team scores you can say that's good or you can say this is a team that is not mentally engaged you can look at a team where they're underperforming their xg their expected goals you can say that will work itself out or you can say this is a team that's really underperforming um and i think the final thing when you look at a team like chicago and you know this intimately john I know this is that they pride themselves on their depth. And we talked about this in the challenge cup preview. They pride themselves on that next player up mentality that every player is going to be working hard, working towards the end goal, which is going to be grinding out a result. And what we have not seen a ton of during this challenge cup is a ton of starting 11 turnover that has felt competitive, rather than fitness-based. And we have not seen those players, that window. They've talked about this multiple times. This is the de- this is why they approached the expansion draft the way that they did. This is why they've approached their contract situations the way that they have. Rory Dames has said multiple times that they have a window with the group that they have, and they trust that, and they're investing in that And this was one of a couple trophies that they've been up for this year that didn't pan out. I don't know what you do exactly. You either trust or you don't, and you keep moving forward. But I agree that if they have gone all in on this talent window of this group that they trust, they know intimately, and they trust very much, I agree that I don't know how you can look at this other than being not only disappointing, but a bit of a concern for what comes next.
0: I 100% agree because I think that that this group, which does have this this level of professional and, and like I said, a fair amount of international experience would be more competitive at this level. Um, or, or maybe even competitive is not the right word. Dominating, you would think. Right. Uh, some of these other players, because you're seeing players who were in their first or second year in the league look more dynamic, um, look more advanced than these players who've been there for a long time. So you would have expected that core group to maybe maybe elevate their game to another level, and I don't think that you're seeing that. I think you're seeing the same Chicago team you saw maybe in 2018. Um, and I think that the only player that looked good over the course of the Challenge Cup was Morgan Gattroth, um, which I know you want to get to. Uh, in another capacity. But um, I, I thought she looked very active and strong in a way that we haven't necessarily seen in a Chicago jersey, but we know that she does have that baseline capability. And I would be encouraged if I was Chicago with how Mallory Pugh looked in the final game, mm-hmm. because she gets a, I don't know exactly, I know was 60 something minute run out. She sprinted in the first, I think like two minutes of the game, an all out 40, 50 yard sprint, which I think for a hamstring injury is very encouraging that she didn't seem to have any fear that if she opened it up, it was going to pull. And obviously she had the goal. I think if she has a career season, if she has kind of a, a crystal done, I've been left out of the national team. I'm going to go score, you know, 12 to 15 goals, maybe that rescues Chicago. But other than that, it, it's got to be somebody like Watt finally getting back to where she could be because you can only talk about her being almost back at that level for so long and at some point you're just not there and the The window on this group, as you mentioned, is getting very very small, and it's it, I almost think it's kind of a now or never with this group
1: yeah. Right. And I think it's interesting because that is how it feels, but you don't necessarily see that urgency from the group itself. Yep. Um, My thought when I watched Mallory Pugh play for Chicago was that I wish everybody else was running that hard. So that's where I was at. (laughs) Um, But also Chicago has got some fundamentals. I don't think what we're saying here is that they're not going to be in the mix for a postseason spot. I think it's more just who do you want to be? Who do you want to be better than? How do you want to play? And what legacy do you want to leave? because we are talking about a group that has been with this team for a very long time. So this is legacy building at this point. And I think that it would have been great to have come away from this tournament with a little bit more clarity from them. Um, so that's Chicago. We have two more teams here, which they have one more game to play. The OL rain will play Kansas city on Monday night. That will be the final group stage game. It will ultimately not mean anything. It's more of a competitive scrimmage is carrying them over into the regular season. Um, thoughts on the rain or Kansas city. I'll just leave that with you. If you want to jump into any of it, I don't know. It's,
0: it's so funny. Cause we, we talked about the rain in the, in the preview, we talked about how much we didn't know about the rain. And I almost feel like we're in the exact same spot that we right. just don't really know what, this, well, that game that they beat do. Chicago
1: three to two, they didn't really solve any of their problems either. They, they vastly over exceeded their expected yes. goals. They were not really creating a, a ton, but they had, one very bad giveaway from Chicago at the beginning to get their yep. first goal. And then they had a fabulous... Oh, actually, let's talk about this. Uh, well, because we don't have a lot of concrete things to talk about, let's get rumor-mongering here a tiny bit. Uh, Ziara King had a heck of a game against Chicago this past week. She was playing on the left side, mm-hmm. replacing Megan Rapino. There have been rumors, there's been talk, there's been whatever of the idea of Eugenie Mm LeSomere coming into OL Reign. She plays for OL. She just signed a new multi-year contract with Olympique Lyon um, just this past year in 2020. Why? I think we know why. But for (laughs) me, I'm like, why don't you just give Ziara King the reins to that spot and say that's yours now and for the future?
0: Yeah, I, that's tough because well, I'm I'm probably a little biased because I love LeSomere. I think she's a fantastic player, and I will absolutely love every second of getting to watch her. Assuming she does, she does come over. But just to add another wrinkle to what you're saying is that this is a team that feels overly stacked in in terms of offensive players, anyway. They've they've got Huerta, they've got Balser, right. you know, they've got Rapino, they've got King. Maybe bias,
1: maybe bias center back instead.
0: Yeah, and and yeah. and uh, you know, we think Marizan is coming, right? right. At, at, you know, at, that's official.
1: Yeah, that's actually okay. So
0: we don't yet. know. I don't know if we yeah. know the date that that she'll yeah. be here, but <laughs> that's a lot of attacking talent. How do you get that on the field without playing six forwards?
1: Right, and also, I as you said. We know they've got the players. We feel good about the roster. It's more just about how they fit fit on the field. And I will say that I was really happy to see Sofia Huerta get a goal against Chicago. Mm-hmm. Though obviously she was the benefit of of a, a game state there that worked in her favor, but she sunk the shot. And I think that you do have some of these players, whether it's Balser, King, Jasmine Spencer, Huerta they're all kind of, they're the young ones or the less young ones looking for spots surrounded by some pretty high profile international talent. And so some of the economics, some of the business of this or what the larger plan is for Olympic Lyon is going to make a difference. And you have to think that every moment you're on the field, you're kind of proving your case, right? Like why you should be playing for this team.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm excited about the rain. I think that they're going to look uh, very different come maybe June 1st. And I really think it might work. And I really think it might not. And no matter what, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, and then finally, we have Kansas City, which it's they're kind of a, a Louisville, Orlando situation where any news is good news. Everything they do has been has been uh, progress that similar situation of they are competing. They have some very good pieces. Michelle Vasconcelos got her first goal of 2021 this week. Um, I still don't know if they're competing with the top teams in this league, but I do think they could steal some points off of some people. We saw that specifically with what they did to Chicago. And I love them as maybe not a dark horse for a postseason spot, but they are a dark horse in every single game that they play. And I like that about them.
0: Yeah. Arod has looked, has looked strong again. And I think she's kind of a fascinating case study and what motivates a player in the back half of their career when at least it seems that the international side of it is, is gone, but she still seems to want to get out there and compete. Uh, you mentioned Vasconcelos getting the goal. I think uh, a week earlier we saw how strong she was against Chicago as well. So she's a player who she's another one where you always kind of thought, well, next year we're going to really see it. So maybe this is the year that we really see it. I think um, they've got some nice defensive pieces, you know, between uh, Del Fava and Corsi and uh, you know, we're just going to have to see where that all shakes out and maybe they make a splash and try to bring another player or two in because obviously their, their ownership seems pretty ambitious.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, final question for you john and i I posted this on on twitter because i i really am curious because i'm not sure i know the answer exactly is you have the two teams in the final gotham and portland we're going to take them out of this group just because they have achieved a goal of the season which is to make the challenge cup final um i'm actually also going to exclude kansas city louisville and orlando from this because those are all the teams that the whole goal here was to get some good results, make progress, build momentum work into the regular season of Chicago, North Carolina, Washington, OL Rain and Houston who feels the best right now.
0: Ooh, that's a good question. Me at Segafam, don't you? No, no, doesn't count. Gotham doesn't count. I would count say North because Carolina because they made it because they made it to the final. Okay, I'd go North Carolina. Okay. Um, they lost what they lost, and they seem completely competitive. And if, if 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 I'm Paul Riley, and I know that I have, you know, the pieces that I have with with McDonald, Williams, Dabina, Hamilton. Presumably getting Ursek back, Um, probably getting my defense in a little bit better shape. O'Sullivan, and then I have one more signing, which, assuming he's not blowing smoke, and it's you know not some some mid-tier European player that everybody some outside
1: back from Sweden or something. Wow, that's who you were
0: talking about. Yeah, right. Um, Assuming that that this is a real player, and and look, maybe maybe one of their their players abroad decides to come back and play for them again. Yeah, you know, right. uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but maybe Mewis decides after the Olympics that, you know, she wants to come back and finish Lones, the season here. Loans
1: are possible, you know. Right. And, yeah. and we know
0: that both, you know, her and Doll Kemper, you know, have have partners here and maybe the distance is, yeah. you know, something that also they're not Also particularly... not necessarily
1: bad for a U.S. player to be playing games up until right. an international tournament, you know. Yeah,
0: And this is always kind of I, I know the Olympics got postponed, but the year after the Olympics, so post what would have been the summer of 2020 was always the period that U.S. players went abroad. And they always did it for maybe nine months. Right. So despite whatever these contracts were signed for, uh, it's not going to be shocking to me if if it wouldn't shock me if every single one of the, the U.S. players over in England is back in the U S uh, by next spring. Yeah. So maybe, maybe North Carolina has, has pulled off a coup and is bringing back one of one of the stars that they, that they had lost to, to England.
1: Yeah. Um, I forgot about this. So I'm going to bring it up. One, I'm going to bring it up here. Um, final thing here today. Uh, we had some more league communication after these games, this is actually probably a good way to lead off to, to end off here because it's not game specific. It's kind of team specific, but it's really just kind of the, the energy of the league going into this challenge cup final, going into the regular season. Um, we got more communication from the disciplinary committee. I don't think anyone was necessarily expecting this. Actually. I don't think we'd heard that there were appeals being made or challenges being made. Um, we heard that there were two suspensions granted, um, one to uh, Larroquette of Kansas City for uh, a tackle against Houston and one to Morgan Gatra for a a similar thing, an aerial tackle against O.L. Reign. I have expressed on this podcast before that I have some pretty big, deep, long-term concerns about the officiating in this league does it make sense for the disciplinary committee to be doing officiating after the fact? Is it better in the fact that they don't have VAR? Um, Is it fair to suspend players that never got a card or a foul even called on the field? I am a little bit taken aback by all of this because I know some steps have to be taken to rectify the officiating. But it can't be this, right? This can't be the way that you do it.
0: I don't, I don't, if we do this in the abstract, I have no fundamental problem with a disciplinary committee looking at a game, picking out an incident and saying the referees missed this. This was an egregious foul that merits a suspension or perhaps even an additional punishment. Right. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to talk specifically about the Gautra incident um,
1: yeah, there was no, are, there then, was no call in the field whatsoever yeah, about so that. Yeah. We
0: can, we can get that one out of the way because I yeah. do think that that one is more dubious. So yeah. again, if we get out of the abstract into a concrete example, so let's establish first that there's clearly contact to the face right. of just f- fish lock. Yes, and absolutely. I think depending on which angle you watched it, because I've actually seen it from the other side of the field, which I'm not sure was a publicly available, um, uh, angle, on the opposite angle of the TV angle, it looks like a hand to the face, whereas from the television angle to me, it looked more like an elbow to the face. Right. But the issue I have with it is that it looks like gatra puts the arm up a full second before Fishlock gets there in right. an attempt to shield the ball. And at that point, if a player still runs through your arm, is that really your fault? And I say that as as somebody, you know, as, as a 5'8 as a male, I have almost always been one of the shorter players on the field. And I have run through a number of elbows. And I don't think any of them have ever been egregious. It doesn't right. mean they didn't hurt. And it doesn't mean that there wasn't contact to the face. But it's also not Gatras' fault that Fishlock is you know, five inches shorter. Um, And it's also not Gutra's fault that Fishlock saw the hand up and still ran through it, trying to get the ball.
1: I think when people hear elbow to the face, they think of a challenge made by a player using their elbow to get the other player off of them. And in this particular case, that is not really what happened here. Um, I think you have to talk about a number of things, one being that the referee in this game didn't actually see this play at all. So maybe that does encourage the disciplinary committee to take a look at it, knowing that the center official had no idea of actually what occurred. I think one of the frustrations from Fishlock and the rain Sure. I mean, I'm sure that they wanted a foul there, but part of it was the fact that they didn't even stop play. Right. You had two teams, both teams were trying to get the ball out of play because the ref was not stopping play um, herself, despite the fact that there was a theoretical head injury right. here. And so, again, you know, you can talk about competitive advantages, you can talk about the unfairness of. What happened to Gatra? You can talk about the unfairness of what happened with Fishlock, who had to come off the field even though no foul was called. But the ultimate concern is that we are seeing these officiating crews miss really important things, not only competitively, but perhaps in terms of player safety. And then we are seeing the league try to rectify those situations after the fact, and it's not actually addressing the main concern which is that players don't feel safe in these games. And I think that this is something that's going to haunt the league if they do not address it head on.
0: Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, is that there's, there's an economic component to this and that officials want to move up to better paying positions and positions in leagues like major league soccer pay more than the NWSL. And so you're going to lose officials. We also have a dearth of people wanting to officiate in the United States. And there's no surprise because you're going to be at best ignored. um, And on your worst day, you're going to be the villain. And it's very difficult from very young ages to adult leagues, to college games, to professional games, to find quality officials. Um, And that's, that's just the nature of, the situation
1: right yeah i don't think it's an easy problem to solve i will say just this though which is that with the last bit of communication we got from the disciplinary committee which actually didn't have to do with what happened on the field at all that was about off the field conduct it was about breaking investigative mandates, it was about social media use, it was about things that did not happen on the field. And then to be given more communication from that same entity for what they called unsportsmanlike conduct on the field. And actually I'll go ahead and say FIFA went ahead actually and called it unsporting conduct. Get rid of sportsmanlike guys. They're not men, but whatever. Um I think that (laughs) this is my little plea. But uh I think that the league is in danger of having a, a lot of these kind of PR situations play out with the disciplinary committee. If it's addressing things off the field, things on the field, if they need to clean up these situations because you're setting precedents. And so I think the thing that concerns me is that you're going to see more of these sorts of after the fact decisions made, you're going to see coaches a little bit confused. You're going to see players a little bit confused. You're going to see fans a little bit confused. And I worry that it might erode further. Some of the trust in league communications when people are searching for more transparency, um, while also understanding why a disciplinary committee should exist. So I don't know if there's a great solution to it, um, other than just eradicating all the other (laughs) systemic issues that you just laid out. Uh, But I think that the the temperature that I've taken is that players are concerned about this. And so are coaches.
0: Yeah, so are coaches.
1: Yeah. And so I don't think this is a problem that's going to go away. And I think that the league should take very seriously how they approach it, because I think that this is a battle that will continue.
0: Part of this too, is just the nature of the way the game is played in the United States. Right. It's just played in a more physical manner at a faster pace with higher pressing and more contact and sometimes smaller fields as well.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, that's kind of an ambiguous way to end it, but we will have a challenge cup winner uh, next week uh, we will have Gotham versus Portland likely hosted by Portland. We will see if that comes to fruition uh, and we will have more on the challenge cup final for you next week. Uh, we will also have a mailbag for you guys next time. So please, please, please. Uh, we will have more on the site itself for you to write into, but if you would like to tweet at me, you can tweet at me and I am at scout Ripley. You can also tweet at the equalizer, uh, Twitter account, equalizer soccer, uh, go ahead and hashtag EQZ pod and we will do our best to answer your questions as well as talk through in detail the challenge cup final, because we do have a trophy to give out. And I think that's kind of exciting to do those do so. So equally in the season, kind of get us ready for that regular season. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you so much, John, for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. And I also want to shout out blue wire podcasts who are our new partners and distributors. Uh, we thank you so much, you guys for listening and we will see you next week.